0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon. You are very welcome to Lifeline. Katie Hannon with you until three o'clock today. And now, of course, uh, we're, uh, the dust is settling on the budget yesterday. A lot of people hoping for a lot out of that budget. We were told there's billions and billions, as they say, available to us. Uh, Maria, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Katie. Yeah, you uh, were holding, you're a foster carer, Maria, just to explain to people. I am. And uh, there was big anticipation that you would finally get an increase in your allowance because it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? A long, long time coming, yeah. Since 2009, we got a small increase, yeah. So there was a lot of expectation that hopefully we get recognised this time. And explain to people what happened. Well, they brought it up and they said we would get an extra €75 a week, which is a long time coming. Um, But it's not coming until the end of 2024. And it just floored me, really, that we're we're being made to wait again for another year for something that we've been crying out for for so long. And just to explain to people, Maria, to be absolutely 100% accurate, uh, what they announced was that €25 of that would be paid in January, but that the bulk of it, the final €50, would not be paid until next uh, November of 2024. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I I heard that afterwards, actually, my first, the first time I heard it was the end. But yeah, after the event, then we heard that there's an extra 25 coming in January. Now, I suppose to people out there, they'll hear, God, you know, 75 euro, that sounds like a good, good amount, good whack, a good amount of money. Yeah. But just to explain to people that you you haven't gotten like as as a, you know budget after budget you you know we've had increases in welfare rates for you know all sorts of very deserving people obviously, but you got absolutely nothing in the last fourteen years. Nothing, nothing. I've been fostering for ten years, and we've just been at the same amount for so long. And inflation, the costs of everything, the, what we're expected to pay out. It's just, what frustrates me is it makes it unaffordable for a lot of people. And we need foster carers. We need foster carers to care for the children. And they're not coming in. They're not, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it at this stage if I was coming in and it was at the amount you get. Because it just, it's not affordable for so many people. And if you can't afford to do it, then why would you do it? Um, just to explain, why did you go into foster caring? Do you mind me asking, Marie? Oh, um, I just always wanted to do it. And I was married and I had my, my two children and my husband was agreeable. And we just, it was just something I always wanted to do. Just something in my in my instincts, I suppose. I just always wanted to be a foster carer. Because you, you, you saw the, the children that end up in the, in this scenario and you wanted to be, to be able to help yeah, those children. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I was very empathetic to children who need more than what they're getting and need help, and I just wanted to be one of those people. I mean, it was really that simple, and I convinced my husband, and so we just went with it. And fostering becomes your... It becomes your life. It be, you build your world around fostering, and you build your family around fostering because it's such an important part of what you're doing. And you just do that automatically. Like, And the allowance 
aids you to be able to do that for the children, but it barely covers it now, you know, and it's it, like, why would anybody go into it now? And we have so few foster carers, like we need foster carers, but who's going to come into it, you know? And this is what frustrates me because if we don't have the foster carers and we don't have cover, we don't have respite care because it's just not there. So we're left dealing with stuff on our own with no support. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's a very rewarding uh, thing to do to, to mm-hmm. uh, step in in locus parentis, really, aren't you? Um, for children and some children, I'm sure, very vulnerable in a very vulnerable yeah. situation. It yeah. must be challenging as well, though, Maria. It's absolutely it's the most fantastic thing to do. Oh, my God. Like the rewards are just I mean, immeasurable. But yes, it is extremely challenging at times. And it really is a roller coaster. And sometimes you do need more. And at the moment, we're getting less and less and less. And it's just so difficult. It's, it's, it's more difficult than it's ever been. When I first came into it, it was a much easier scenario. There seemed to be a lot more carers, a, a lot more social workers. And at the moment... It's just really difficult. It makes the day-to-day stuff really difficult because you know you don't have any support and there's no point in looking for it at this stage because it's just not there. And of course, the thing is, we can't identify <clears throat> any child that has uh, been the subject of a care order in any shape or form in Ireland. That's the law. And so mm-hmm. these children really have no voice because mm-hmm. because of the legal situation they're in, apart from anything else. Uh, so, yeah. so the likes of yourself are the only voice for these children. Yeah. Yeah, and we have to be so careful in how we voice it and we have to be, protect them at the same time. And I think they know that we, we're we quiet and we've been too quiet for too long and we're putting up with too much for too long and we have to get our voice out there for the sake of the children. It's just not good enough. To push it out for another year, I just, I can't understand. The sense of relief I felt when I heard €75, because immediately I thought, we're going to get more foster carers. People are going to come in. And then when I heard it's pushed out for another year, I'm like, gosh, like, what's the point? You know, it just doesn't make well, sense. Well, the point, I suppose, is they'll save money. <laughs> you know, if they put yes. it off for another year, that's a whole yeah. year of, of those that increase that the government even doesn't have to know, find. Yeah, even though they know that they need foster carers, you know, they know that there's not enough foster carers for the children coming into care. And yet they're not making it any kind of a feasible option for the majority of people. And just to say, am I right in saying that you have to have one parent at home in the house in order to yeah. be approved for foster caring? Yeah. So that's one person who obviously can't go out and get a job if, if times get yeah. tough financially in the household. Yeah, it's a huge commitment. It's a huge commitment for the whole family. Yeah. Yeah, so all, as you can, we all know that Ireland, you know, the way things have been set up now is it's generally an economy that re- requires two incomes if you've got children. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a lot of people, it's it's uh, it's a huge luxury if you don't have to have a second income come into the house. But in your case, you that's just not that's not a possible. So all your family have to deal with that. Yes. Yeah. Like well, at the start when we went into fostering, I I was at home. Now, in my situation, I I do work part time. Like I went out last year and I work part time and I get a job. I have a job that works around the hours. And that was really based on the pension situation because I was fearful for the future. So I wanted to 
protect myself I suppose and I can work my hours around it but that's very slim to none opportunities the majority of foster carers you know one of them does need to be home full time there's not many roles or jobs that you can do that will work around your the expectations of a foster parent because there's so many things that we have to bring them to and appointments and access visits and that we have to be available for you know so it's not really it's not a a realistic option for most people. And when things go wrong, because obviously things will go wrong, who, who, who's there for you? Like who, who, who can, you know, step in or who can, who do you turn to for advice and support at that time within? Um, like is, is Because there used to be a thing where every foster child had a social worker assigned to them. Is that still possible now? Most children would have a foster care, a social worker associated to them. Some don't. One of mine doesn't at the moment and hasn't had for a long time. The other one does. And I would have a link worker. But the link workers, they change regularly. So it's it's difficult to build up any kind of relationship with your link worker because in my situation anyway, they're not there for long and they're gone. And then you've got to build up another relationship. It becomes more of a task than a support, to be honest. That's how it feels to me. It's more, it's another job I have to do than a support to me. Yeah. Will you hang on, Maria? I've got other foster carers coming in who want to, to, to tell us about their situation. Uh, Paula, good afternoon, Paula. Hello, Katie. How are you? How are you, Paula? I'm good, thank you. Uh, you A bit angry, but good. Because, <laughs> uh, as I say, there had been this expectation and anticipation that... Um, you were finally going to get over the line yesterday, wasn't there? There was, absolutely. And um, we were very hopeful. Um, I'm involved with a group called Movement for Change in Fostering. And we have worked tirelessly for the last two years, meeting with ministers and councillors and everything and trying trying to fight the case for foster carers um, with regard to the allowance for the children and for pensions and for a petrol allowance as well. And pointing out the waste that's going on within Tusla that could be directed where it would help the children much, much more. And we were so hopeful for the budget yesterday. We heard the €75 a week increase and then we were all crushed when we heard that, well, it's €25 in January and the rest in November of at the end of 2024. And in my opinion, it was a roundabout way of ignoring us for next year's budget. But, mm-hmm. you know, if they think that we're now at this stage going to stop fighting for the rights of the children in our care, they're sadly mistaken. What impact has that had then? Because obviously you're in touch with a lot of other foster carers there, Paula. Oh, well, I've had a number of foster carers messaging me this morning to say that they have to decide between facing into poverty in their old age because they have no, will have no pension if they continue to foster and fostering. And a number of them are saying at this stage they're throwing the towel in because they can't sacrifice their future. Um, so it, so what, what, is, what is the situation Sorry. with pensions, Paula, for, um, for foster carers? Uh, OK, so if your hus- your, those whose husbands are working, they will get their full contributory pension from their own stamp. We can't work and we don't get the stamp for the contributory pension. So, you know... Are we on our own in years to come? We would only be entitled to the state pension, which is means tested. So, you know, every other 
person retiring that has worked all their lives, which we are working, we're working very hard, can decide, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go to Spain for six months and come home for six months. But that's okay on the contributory pension because you can take your pension with you. You can't on, on, on the means test at one. So we have no pension. We have no future to look forward to our old age. We've got a carer who fabulous care who's actually still fighting for carers even though she's retired 30 years of dedicating her life to children and not so much of a thank you when she retired and I've now heard through the grapevine that wow we're going to be getting a silver teapot when we retire and it might keep the tea warm but it won't keep us warm in our old age because it won't pay our fuel bills You're not serious Paula is that, is that... so disrespectful A silver teapot Yeah and the other thing is, there's many carers that would be happy. You know, there, there, there's a lot of unaccompanied children coming into the country and there's a lot of to and fro in taxis, bringing them here, bringing them there, getting their papers done, whatever. There's a lot of carers would be happy to do that if they were paid the civil rates, civil service rates of pay for the fuel allowance, the petrol. Mm-hmm. But the way it stands at the moment, in, in one trip, we have to be doing over 150 kilometres to get paid cent of petrol. Why would we take that out of an allowance that already we're, we're subsidising because it's not going far enough? Why, why would they pay €120 Euros for a taxi in comparison to maybe €20 or €30 Euros for petrol for the foster care? It, like, it doesn't make any sense. But that's what's happening. <clears throat> that's what's happening. Taxis every day of the week, back and forth, back and forth. And taxi drivers, God bless them, fair play to them. They're making a few bob. But it's a waste of money. And of course, the big thing is we all know and anyone who has ever anything to do with uh, or, or really talk to any, any, any families involved with children in care, we know that the best place for children who can't be with their parents is with loving foster parents, Absolutely. foster carers. Best outcome. And, you, you know, it, like the, the other option, the only other option then, you know, if they can't be with their own families is, is, is uh, residential care. And that's... That's never the first choice, is it? No, my husband was brought up in residential care, which is why we went into fostering originally. Um, but it's something I've just come to absolutely love. Being honest, I would have thrown the towel in a few years ago, except I have a child here in my care who I consider my son. I love him dearly and he will be with me until he's 18, 28 with his current economy, I imagine he'll be here. I was going to say, I was going to say, uh, and beyond the current uh, state yeah. of affairs. Yeah, and that's the only reason I, I've stayed involved. There was nothing done for the, those children that are going into aftercare. There was no mention of an increase for aftercare for children in aftercare. We asked that the aftercare allowance be paid to children in foster care until they're twenty-five, until they're fil- finished college. That wasn't done because. A lot of children who are in foster care are functioning at a much lower age than the average child and they're just being thrown out there into the world to be eaten alive. I know one child who is just 23, he's been in college, he failed a couple of his modules, he has to repeat, but he cannot repeat because he cannot afford, because he's losing the aftercare allowance and the Susie and everything else. So there he is, he could have, he could have had a future, but there's been nothing done and it needs to be increased to the age of 25. Like they need, look, you know, judge a country by the way it treats its children. And if anybody was looking in at the foster care system at the moment, they would squirm. And it's not the social worker's fault. It's 
those higher up just are not. Pascal Donahue this morning couldn't be bothered to crunch the numbers of how much it would cost extra to implement the payment all in January. Well, it would cost an extra 13 million a year up to the end of the year in a budget that was billions. It's ridiculous. The thing is, of course, you're you're actually saving the state money because, as I say, if we if we were relying on the residential care system, that's a hugely expensive care system. Yeah, I think that starts around six thousand a week, and some of the residential care units are an awful lot, lot more than that. Um, if they have children with specific needs in it, and don't forget, there's an awful lot of carers who have children who we know have exceptional needs. We know by the behaviours, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we're not getting, you know, domiciliary care allowance and carers allowance and all that because we can't get the assessments done. There's such a bad backlog in assessments. And that in itself is neglect of the child. And we're sitting here feeling guilty because we're not able to get what the children need. Paula, will you hang on? I've got Joan on the next line, on another line. Uh, Hang on there. Uh, Joan, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, you're also a foster carer, Joan. Well, I'm. I'm. I'm recently retired. I, w- I finished uh, three months ago. But I, like Paula, I've been working with Movement for Change Impact Foster Care for the last two years uh, to get a substantial increase in the foster care allowance and also on the pension issue to get that settled for foster carers. And I think that yesterday um, was very disappointing, given the fact that. There hasn't been an increase since 2009. So it hardly barely covers the cost of living increase in those 14 years. But what it also shows is that successive governments have ignored foster care and foster children over those years. Successive governments. And now this government, this current government, is also you know, not responding to the urgency of the situation in, in postponing the effects of the increase until the end of next year, which is also, as I've said, denying us another increase in the coming budget, in the next year's budget, which is what we need. Um, My big concern is the effect on recruitment of new foster carers because we left left after 30 years. We came to the end. We're we're in our 70s now, my husband and I. So in our area, there is no... And, and all across the country, there are no foster carers coming forward. And this is statistically, Tussler have identified this as a crisis now, mm-hmm. uh, which then in turn means there's no places for the children to go to in foster care, which means too many children unnecessarily are being directed into residential care. And so the whole thing has a knock-on effect. What we want is for foster care to be taken seriously, for the work of foster carers to be taken seriously. And that really does need funding being put into the, the, the foster, foster homes. Because Sorry, Joan, mm-hmm. and I can talk to you because obviously you're out of it now, just in terms of, yes. were you, did you have long-term placements or, you know, those emergency placements that you hear about oh, as well? Yeah. Well, to start with, when I started, we we did a lot long-term placements. Uh, we, we were one particular um, foster child for a long term and several others. Uh, since we reached our 60s, 
Um, well, well, even earlier than that, we couldn't take long term realistically because we would, you know, it would be, it wouldn't be fair to the children that would be 80 by the time they were 16, you know. Yeah. So we took emergency placements and this that has really opened our eyes to um, some of the shocking things that are happening, really. And, I mean, there are good stories. But definitely we have good stories too. But, but the, the, when, you, when you see, when you have, we have to hold on to a child, we often, the emergency placements are meant to be for a few weeks. But really, we ended up holding on to children for months rather than see them shifted from one emergency placement for to, to another because there was no long-term place for them. That's why, why when I became aware of the shortage, the reason there is a shortage is because people cannot, I believe, is modern families, younger families in their 40s, maybe um, 30s and 40s, cannot actually afford to foster the way it is structured right now yeah. and the way society is structured right now. You, you, you basically, if you've got two children of your own, one's a boy, one's a girl, you're going to need a four-bedroom house. Many families can't afford a four-bedroom house these days. You're going to need a second car or a seven-seater car. You know, if you've got a family of your own and then you maybe take two siblings maintenance on the house is a huge issue. Without going into details, wear and tear is a lot higher when fostering is involved, wear and tear on I think home. I think it's, and again, we're, we're not going to identify any child in any foster situation, but I think it's, it's you know, understandable uh, and expected that mm. if you are taking mm. children out of very difficult situations, that there will be some trauma and they will be traumatised in some cases and that will maybe need to to some behavioural issues and maybe also you might be of dealing course. with children with other yeah. you know, additional needs. So that they might, the acting up work, of that can work. cause, can, can cause yeah. damage. That's right. And we work therapeutically with the children. That's what foster carers are trained to do. So obviously our tolerance levels are very, very, very high. So the damage occurs, the, the, the frustrations happen. But we have to fund that ourselves. We have to, that has to come out of our own pocket. You know, and do you actually, and you, in, sorry, John, just to say that, because uh, was, uh, Paula was saying there that it can be very difficult to get um, children assessed and all of that for, for, for uh, the therapies they need. Are, are foster parents just basically putting their hands in their own pocket and paying for this privately? I have heard that many times. Now, um, well, when we fostered long term, there were no therapies full stop. So we were we were banging out, knocking at an empty door. But now there is plenty of therapies, but the waiting lists are so long. And I've heard it many, many times that foster carers are having to search and, and look for, fund it themselves privately. That's happened. That that happens often. And again, as I say, there will be damage. There will be physical damage to your to your home. Does that can you can you turn around to to Tusla and say, I need a new, whatever television. I need to get a wall mended. Is 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 that available? Um, well, no, not as not to my knowledge. I think it should be available, but I it it just would be a struggle to get that. It would be, you know, you would have to put up a strong case and it would have to be serious damage to get that. And most foster carers 
accept it. But having said that, our homes are inspected every three years. So we have to be up to standard as well. So this is, you know, this is another another thing that I think it put it, before when when we were fostering um, in the beginning, that was all part of the course. You know, that was all we took it all in its stride, and we had our own children. But for foster carers, for people coming into fostering now, they can't. They're they're. they're Finances are so tight, I think, for modern families that they wouldn't be able to take this. So we need to have a realistic foster care allowance in order to attract people and make it possible for more people to foster. Yeah, uh, they released. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Joan. I was just because I see I have another caller on the line. If you want to hang on, yes, Joan, yes. I'll try and get as many yes. voices as I can on this. Uh, Mary, okay, Mary. Good afternoon, you. Mary. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Um, are you you're still foster caring, um, Mary? Are you? I am indeed. Yes. Yeah. I have two little boys, and uh, we won't again. We'll be very careful, obviously, not to say anything identifying in any way uh, about yeah. the children that you you are in your care or you may have cared for before. Uh, but again, I, I presume you were hanging hanging on yesterday with bated breath for um, the announcement in the budget. Yeah. Well, it's just the fact, like. <laughs> of getting recognition of what what we do as foster carers. Like most foster carers aren't in it for the money. They're not. And we don't make money on it. We lose money on it, you know. But it's for the love of the children we do it. And to see the way we're treated, like, you know the cost of living has doubled in the last five years. And in, in 14 years, no raise at all in the cost of it. Now, I know for us personally, we love the children we're fostering and we have spent a lot of money of our own savings on these children to get things that they need and to get them the facilities they need because, as you probably know, most children in foster care have additional needs of some mm-hmm. sort or another. And like the poor little things, they're very vulnerable and you'd love to get them the best you can but you're on waiting lists and it seems you have to beg for everything and it's very tiring you're made feel that you're that you're a nuisance begging for things do you know mm-hmm. and it's it's so unfair to these they're the most vulnerable people in society and like we want to give them the best we can and it's very very difficult like I, if I'd love some of those people the powers that be to take one of these children for a week or fortnight and let them see what we put in for these kids. Like, and it's for the love of the children we're doing it because you, you're, we're not doing it for the money because we're not making money on it and it's their only chance to show us that we were appreciated yeah. or to make us feel appreciated. And it was like just a kick in the teeth to show us we're not. And I would hate it down the line her to go to her children are being cared for in special care homes because in a family is the place where they should be and it's the best place for them like it has been seen that it's the best place for them and like foster carers are going to stop doing it like even for me personally I know I don't feel one bit appreciated by anybody mm-hmm. and that's being honest how, how long have you been sorry Mary how long have you been foster fostering children now I'm 13 years at it Right, so just the, when you started, you had just had your last uh, 
small uh, increase in the allowance. That was uh, 14 years ago in 2009. Yeah, well, since I started, I haven't got any increase at all. You know, we say. Like, when you think of it, even just to say, think of the way times have changed. Like, when you think in 2009 was the last increase there was. Like, look at the price of a child's pair of football boots, the price of clothes, shoes, all that kind of thing. You know, it's oh, a joke, yeah, absolutely, really yeah. and truly. I mean, anyone who's buy- been buying things for children for that over that period will know there's a big difference in what, in what, even on groceries, sure, even food, food now is Absolutely. completely yeah. out of care. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay, will you like, ha- you'd have to be doing it for the love of the children, like, but it's still so frustrating to see the way these children are treated. Nobody really cares about the money off. That's being honest. Like, you fall in love with a child when you get the child and you try and do the best for them. But it seems to be that nobody else really cares. You know, the poor little things. Like, since we got our children, I feel we're constantly fighting for services for them and fighting for everything. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And it's it's draining. It's very, And, like, no fa- child in foster care is easy work. All children are hard work. Rearing children is hard, because I've reared my own, and I know that. And we say in the future, as teenagers, they're going to be harder work. But these kids have all special needs because they have lost something, we say, from their parents. They have lost bonding with their parents or else they've been abused or whatever. So they all have additional needs. And you're trying to do your best to bring the best out in them and give them the best. And it's kind of being thrown back in your face all the time. It must be incredible, though, uh, to see a child kind of responding to that, you know, that stability and that security. I have one of my children never bonded and one day he said to me, I love you, Mammy. And my God, I nearly, I felt like flying, you know, because he was afraid to bond because he was afraid he'd be let down, you know. Now, it took years of therapy for this to, that little response and that made me feel so good for him, you know, that he could trust me enough to say that he loved me. You know, the poor little thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it nearly makes me cry to think of how they whew, they can miss out on so much. They didn't ask for any of this. Like, even when you get them in the first place, they've missed out on their mammy. And missing out on your mammy is the worst thing I think that can ever happen to a child. And that sounds sexist, but I know a daddy is important as well. But like with these little pets, they need that and they need the stability. And like it took us, I'd say it took us eight years to get him to that stage that he could say, I love you, mammy. You know, the poor little pet, you know, they don't ask for any of this. It's not fair. It really isn't. I know. And I know... My heart breaks for the children in in society that are being, you know, they're being neglected really and truly. And even in Tuesday, the paperwork is more important than the children. Always has been. Very obviously. You know, it's sad. It's so sad. Mary, will you hang on for me? I've got I've got to take a break, but I'll be back to you after these. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. 
Um, and we've got more calls coming in. But I just wanted, I just uh, reminded that Joan has just retired. Joan, are you still with us? Yes, I am, yes. Did you get a silver teapot, Joan? I'm, I, I left, I finished fostering on the 12th of July this year and I'm still waiting for a letter of, not, not, not even a letter of thanks, but maybe a letter of acknowledgement that I've gone. There's been nothing from any of the managers in our local area, even to acknowledge that my husband and myself have finished fostering. And it's very, very hurtful. I, I, I'm shocked at myself to see for how hurt I feel about it. But it's not just for myself, but for my husband as well, because, you know, it's all women ringing what, what I've heard, but the, the, the males do a huge amount of the fostering as well. And I'm quite shocked at how hurt I feel that nobody even bothered to put a letter or an email to me to say, we noticed that you have finished fostering. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Not even a goodbye. <sighs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine feeling like that, actually. If you'd put 30 years into it. But Joan, I suppose mm. you're, uh, you know, your thanks is in the children that you, you know, that you put through your of hands. Would, do you, can you, do you maintain contact with many of the children that you fostered? Yeah, we try to. We try to. Well, I mean, some are, two are members of the family. <laughs> but um, we, we, and that, that is, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the, the thanks come in a very different way. And it's not, it's not, you know, it doesn't take away at all from what we have got from fostering and from the pride and, and the joy that we've got from it. But it's just the fact that if somebody, anybody leaves any organisation after 30 years, there's a, there's a courtesy, isn't there, normally? You know, <laughs> there's a way of doing things. And the fact that that's even overlooked, you know, is, is just, I think it illustrates how foster carers are viewed. And I mean, I know that people will come on and say, oh, no, no, that's true, you're saints. We really admire you, etc." You know, we've heard that before as well. But it's, the reality is, that I think because we're, we're volunteers, which is what we are, and we're, that we don't seem to qualify for any of the, I suppose, general um, protocols and courtesies that you would give, that employees would expect, for example. Yeah, that's it. You're taken for granted, Joan. That's basically it, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. OK, yeah. hang on. I want to bring in Kerry now. Kerry, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Yeah, you do emergency foster caring. Yeah, I just want to say that uh, Joan sounds like a really lovely, lovely... Um, she she's, lovely she certainly does, she does. Yeah, she's a lovely woman and I would be blessed if she had been a foster care to me when I was younger or, you know, if anyone that I knew needed foster caring. Um, I just wanted to say to you, um, okay, so I do what's called the emergency foster caring. Now, as Leo said, the, the children are the most vulnerable in society. Now, when we break that down a little bit, it means that, um, you know, there's a lot of difficulties with, um, you know, in our society with drugs, with drink, you know, with a lot of issues with, like, with people, you know, in general. And some people um, 
have issues themselves that leads to not being able to look after their own children. And, you know, we step in there to help them as parents, as to help them as, you know, just human beings. Now, we love, love, love what we do. We love the children. And, you know, the children are really a fallout from society in general. You know, um, we try... we. Leo and the government seem to not care about what's going on in families, what's drugs on the streets, you know, the alcoholism, because this is what's happening. And the children are filtering down from that into care. Now, look. Now, I, I'll just say this because uh, there'll be somebody on from Fine Gael, no doubt, to say, well, the Taoiseach uh, set up uh, the child poverty section in his own department to indicate how how this was a priority for him and that this would be the best country in Europe uh, to be a child in and that that is uh, a stated policy of the government. I'm just saying that for you, Kerry, because I know there'll yeah, be somebody that'll, that'll make sure we say it. Well, that, that's fantastic for people, for the parents of the children. That's fantastic. But when you have um, emergency children, like I've often had um, to wait outside Tesco till they open at nine to actually buy a full week of clothing for children. Um, Sorry, you're saying children come to you for emergency placement with no no clothes? Yeah, some girls come with just a nightie on, no underwear, no nothing. They're ripped out of serious situations. Um, I had two babies not too long ago. The parents were drunk driving, two brand new babies. Well, one was 18 months and one was only six weeks. And I had to wait until Tesco opened to buy literally everything from the nappies from in the baby to 18 months to all the formula um, and to all the clothes and obviously shoes for the 18-month-old. 18, 18 now, don't get me wrong, I'm not here going poor me, poor me. But what I am saying is... You know, there's a certain level of care that we can give as foster carers, but we need support. Like I am doing this about four years. I've had in the last three years, I've had 200 children. And these are, I mean, a lot Sorry, of say that again. Kids, You've had how many children? About 200 children in the last three years. Oh, my God. So yeah. so you would have them for maybe just days or, or weeks at a time and then they well, go... And it depends. Some children come from sexual assault. Now, we have to be open with this. Um, Some assault itself, some um, issues in the family, um, serious issues, you know, um, whether it's assault from a parent, whether it's assault from a sibling. Um, And a lot of the children have ADHD, are autistic, have sensory nerves. Um, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit shaky on the phone here. Um, you yeah, know, you're doing great, Kerry. I'm just, it just strikes me, just as you're speaking there, that my God, you really, you and and I think Joan Joan mentioned it as well that when she went to short term uh, foster emergency foster care, that it was a real eye opener. And I think you, what you and and other people who do this, you get such an insight into uh, a very like dark side of of life for a lot of children. Dark side is not publicised. If you hear of any crimes on the radio, any murders, any serious, you know, um, incidents on the radio, we have the children of those um, situations. We're the ones with the children. So realistically, we, I mean, I love the kids, absolutely love them. But there's only so much you can do. I mean, I try and stay on call. There's very few foster carers, emergency, very few. I've had children come up to me from Killarney 
because there's been no foster in the area I am. There's um, Sometimes there's only three and four emergency foster carers and the children come all over the country. We've separated children that come in and traffic children that come in as well. Now, you give them all the love attention. We have them for a few days. They tell us their story. Then we need to go to counselling after hearing the story because some of them are absolutely horrific. You hear, as I say, what the adults do on the news, what the, they're capable of doing to each other, and then we get the children and we need to build with them. Now, again, I might have the children for a night until a you know, short-term or long-term placement comes, or I could have the children for a number of weeks. But when they, those children leave my house, sometimes I have to go for counselling because realistically you're not able to cope with what you've heard. But for, you know, to be... I mean, even like if Tusla or if the... You know, the government give an age-appropriate package to the emergency fosters. Now, I'm stating emergency. But are you, I'm, I'm trying to picture this, Kerry, and again, in those scenarios, as you say, obviously, they're, you know, the true definition of emergency if you're arriving. Are, like, you're basically handed a child in a baby grow and told, get on with it, are you? Uh, now, the, I have to say the, the social workers are amazing. So we have to give them an absolute amazing because they're first on the scene. And they're the ones that, you know, bring the children to us. So they're amazing. And a lot of people don't see what, um, you know, the uh, social, social workers, workers do. do. But I get children a lot just brought from the guards, you know, from serious situation. And the, the guards would just knock on my door with the children. But yeah, you get children like that. And I don't like to keep saying it with no underwear on. You know, I got a, a little boy with just a dressing gown from his dad wrapped around him, nothing else on him. And these children, like sometimes your house is damaged because a lot of kids have this these serious anger, uh, you know, issues or, you know, all these sort of. And, Com- and like completely ADHD. understandable, obviously, from what you're saying. Yeah. So, and then another thing is when you have the children, you know, you might get 20 minutes uh, notice that there's a child coming that has self-harmed. A lot of them self-harm. I had a situation myself where... You know, ambulance had to be called because there's been children self-harming in my house. And um, you have to put all your knives. Within 20 minutes, you have to go around the whole house. You have to take your bleach in, up, you know, put them into a spare room. You're a debt all. You're and deodorants because, you know, poor children are, they do sniff and they do take these things. Like every night in the house, anything that be, you know, posed as a risk to the child. So you're going around and you're trying to make your house sensory proof for that child because although, the, you know, the social workers will say a little bit about what they're told, they um, they don't know the full extent until the child comes to your house. And the child generally would f- feel comfortable with a foster parent. And, you know, they gain, like, trust and they'll, they'll tell you the situations and stories. And, you know, a lot of times, I mean, even my mum and dad, they just sometimes cannot believe the situations I have and they are absolutely shocked. But really, Fina Gale, Fina Fall, please tell us, not, you know, you're, you're looking after the most vulnerable. The most vulnerable are actually in our care as emergency, as long-term, as short-term, as foster care in general. But what I'd like to say is I just want to emphasise the emergency foster care. Not that I think any different of any of them, but the serious weak conditions we get, the children that we get in the door, are horrific. Can, and as I say... Can I say, Kerry, how, how, how does it work then financially for the emergency foster care system? Well, 
like, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's the heart in you. I think every mother has a heart. Obviously, they well, do. I honestly and can't imagine, mother- just to say, Kerry, I cannot imagine anybody offering their services as an emergency foster care in these in the scenarios you've, you, you've said there if they didn't, you know, really, yeah. really well, want to do it for those children. Yeah. There's a lot of mothers out there that can't care for their children because of drugs, because of drink, because of things outside, you know, their own um, situation. But like, you know, again, the government should be dealing with that to make, you know, people able to deal with the situation so they can keep their children and get support for their children. Now, look, I know there's going to be situations where we still get the, the, you know, the fallout from Mm -hmm. that with with the children. They do not, you know, appreciate the work that we do and I don't want to be up on a pedestal and I don't want people saying oh the foster carers don't care about this the foster carers if you only see the work we've done and we love it but we need support now if I'm on call which I'm on call 24 over the weekend you're on call 24 hours a day if you don't get an emergency placement it's two euro 80 cents an hour if you do get an emergency placement it's four euro 80 cents an hour now, when you go into this uh, initially, you've your few bob, you've this, that and the other, you're saving. So, okay, so you say to yourself, right, well, I'm going to buy the bunk beds now because I had two children last week and, you know, they were severe cases. So I'm going to make sure I'm well organised for another two children. Okay, so I need a carry cot now or I need some sensory um, play, uh, different items for yeah. different children. So your little bit by bit is going. And for them to turn around and hand you four euro 80 cent an hour for dealing with the stressing the most most vulnerable children that we have and it's not the it's not the big thing they say in the doll oh we're doing this we're doing that we're doing that they're ignoring the children that are going to grow up and another thing is when those children reach 18 they're gone what support do they have oh, that's a whole uh, that's that's a huge oh. issue I, I really believe that is a huge <laughs> issue that uh, 18 you know 18 year old Kids really who have had the roughest, roughest start to be to be thrown yeah, out and, and fend for themselves. I've heard children being told, sixteen-year-old children being told, there is nowhere to go for them, and if they go to the guard station and present themselves at homeless as homeless, they will get accommodation in um, a shelter or something like that. Now, this is just not good enough. This is not good enough. So if they get off their high horse, Fina Gale, Fina Flo, with their huge pensions and whatever else they're on, and Leo with a 785 euro a day, get off those high horses and help the people on the ground. Those children that are grown, going to grow up and follow the parents' footsteps, drugs, drinks, abuse, whatever it is, get down off that high horse and help those people. Now, I'm just saying as well, I know we're the emergency, but there is families out there that are Dealing with the the children have that have addiction. Dealing dealing with the children that have the issues that have not yet t- taken the the steps to go into foster care, but they're on the brink of it. Help them, help mm-hmm. them, because they want to be mothers. They want to be fathers. Help them before the children need to go into special care. Okay, okay, Kerry, thank you for that. I need to take another break, but we'll stay with this after these. Talk to Joe on oh eight one eight seven one five eight one five. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Can I bring in Grace now? Grace, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you, Katie? Good, Grace. You're also a foster carer. I'm a foster carer for the last 18 years and I have had mostly long term. So can I just say before I start, I want to applaud that lady 
Um, I was horrified at what she's had to put up with because I mostly do long-term foster care. Um, it's a, it's a really is. It's, a, it, it's another world, isn't it? it, it it's, uh, I mean, well, anybody who does that, uh, what Kerry described there and the children well, uh, that come to her hands. Exactly. There is nobody. I think it's nothing short of residential um, care, really. I mean, she has the, you know, the really hard issues. I suppose I feel now that it's that it's not my place to be on here today because I haven't had uh, any of those issues as such. But I've had I've had break, I've had uh, placement breakdowns after 14 years, and um, you're just expected to get on with it. Um, that must be. But, th- but can I talk, ask you about that actually? Because. For those long-term placements, there's totally there's a different set of challenges, obviously, that come with that than from the the situation that Kerry was talking about with her emergency cases. But you you bond and you build up, um, and you know you obviously uh, children become part of your family. And then when 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 the placement breaks down for whatever reason, it must be devastating. It is, and you and you try and keep going, and you try and keep going, and and you know you'd be you kind of know that you're going nowhere, but you know if you let the child go that they're probably gone back into the system again and that's not what you want because they're like your children. I mean, I've had I've had two siblings. One has only moved out in her 20s um, last week and she's still very much part of her family. And I've had her other sibling who, you know, who, who went home and the placement broke down. Um, and it's very hard on, on each of those siblings as well because one has... Stayed. Um, she went to college um, and, you know, has, has a degree, which is great. Very few foster kids end up, you know, getting to college, getting degrees. And it's from the support that they get um, from the foster carers to get them to get them there. Um, and we're so proud of her. Do you know what I mean? To have got that far. But I mean... <sighs> That doesn't come from nowhere, you know. Uh, that th- there is a lot of extras, I imagine, along the way to you know to g- get a child to that level. Oh, there, oh, there are. There is, there is, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of hard work that you have to do behind the scenes. Like I even remember the uh, one of our one of ours had to have pass mats for her leaving cert to get into college. And she had to have grinds on the morning of her maths exam. And she actually passed it. We were absolutely delighted and she got her course. But like that was, you know, all those finances are not even taught about. They're not given by Tusla. Um, So, um, you know, I think that we're the backbone of foster care in Ireland for the last, I don't know how many years. And I think that the government have been able to uh, lie back and forget about it because they know that we have done it. But I think it's about time that foster carers are standing up and saying, hang on a minute, you know, this is your issue. We are here to carry this for you, but you need to support us. And I don't think that they're supporting us. And I think getting the increase, it was fabulous. It was great. You see, I'm wondering if Pascal and... Um, um Michael are saying, thinking, say, God, they're an ungrateful bunch. We gave them 75 euro, you know, and not an ounce of thanks are we getting for it. Exactly. But like they don't realise that. I mean, as I said, I had a, a young girl who actually needed braces, 1700 euros, paid it. 
you know, got the braces and everything. But then you might hear of another foster parent in some other county and they seem to be getting that covered. So I oh, think... Well, sorry, did, you, did you pay for those braces yourself? Yes, I did. 1,700 euro? Yes. And that was that was actually eight. That was probably eight years ago. So can you imagine what they'd cost now? But I think it's just too slack and they're not telling the foster carers what, what we are entitled to. So one person might get something, the other person mightn't get something. But when these children are in TY and they, you know, and all their friends are going on tours, they want to go, to go. of course they do. And the foster parents want them to go. It's us that has to pay for those foreign tours um, abroad. So that's all out, out of that money. So like, that's not even coming near um, covering all the expenses that go on, um, you know, through a lifetime of a child in foster care. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Grace, thanks for that. Uh, I want to bring in Bernie. Bernie, good afternoon. Hi, Katie. How are you? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I t- could I just start by saying, um, it, uh, this might sound straight, it's one of the most... It's it's one of the hardest working things you'll do in your life, but it's one of the most rewarding things you'll do in your life is to foster a child. Yeah. Um, as I say, yes, there's an awful lot of hard work goes into it. There's no denying it. And there are cynical people who think you're in for the money and there is no money on this earth would pay you for what it is entailed in in fostering. But it's the most rewarding thing if you see the child developing and improving over the years. Yeah, but I, I suppose, can I, I can I just say that, Bernie, I suppose we all have a sort of um, a Sunday afternoon movie kind of version of this in our heads, maybe, where, you know, a troubled child comes into this family, they get a lot of love and care and attention and they blossom and... It all works out very yeah, well. It's not that simple. Yeah, it's not <laughs> I, that I know simple. that that's I'm not the reality for, for yeah, that yeah. it, yeah. Well, just, it was just listening to the, your, not the previous call, I think the one before about the emergency. I got my first uh, two children that I got turned out were from a kind of an emergency situation as well. And um, it was a bank holiday weekend and they arrived. And unfortunately, my problem is, to be honest, Katie, is not the social workers themselves, it's a system. The social workers individually, as people, are lovely. Any of them I came across were lovely people. But there is not enough of them, and there's a huge turnover. And I could never, when the, if I needed a social worker, which is, to be honest, very rare, you're not on the phone every day of the week, but the backup wasn't there. And I had the two social workers that arrived with these two children from the very traumatic circumstances obviously I won't go into it but it was obviously like that they were taken from the parents and brought to me in the clothes they stood in mm-hmm. and they were 10 minutes in my house the social workers and they were gone and it was over bank holiday these two children were very very badly damaged and they were hurting each other and whatever you know two siblings mm-hmm. and there was nobody there nobody I could contact even just to for advice or whatever now, the social workers themselves, I said, I went through about five just getting my assessment done because one would leave, one would go on maternity leave, then somebody else would take the place. And the pressure that the social workers were under was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And they just didn't have, there were times where they'd have to cancel, you know, when the children are going here to, you know, the visits to the parents and that kind of thing. 
And, you know, they just ring at the last minute, they can't make it, they can't. So I found I had a personal circumstance in the end, after a few years, where um, my daughter had an incident, unfortunately, became very unwell suddenly. And uh, I needed just help, obviously, with a bit of, you know, even though my family were there to support me, but because it was a family situation. And I was told there's just nothing there. You, you know, no respite, no nobody to give you a hand, nobody to bring her to school, nobody, you know, and everything you have, everybody that everything everybody has said, Katie, it's true. You have to fight. You have to fight for what the children are entitled to, or what they need. I'm not talking about financially even. I'm talking about assessments. Whether it's going to CAMS, whether it's going here, whether it's going there, like there's so much involved, as you say. It's not just coming in and giving them hugs and cuddles or feeding them, you know, nice food. You know, there's all sorts of, as you know, counselling you have to go to or bring them to and visits and parents. You know, it's very, very complicated. And I was very similar to that girl that you were speaking about with the emergency. I mean, you know, I, I actually used to keep a Moses basket in the house. I used to keep nearly every range of clothes, even from, you know, my grandchildren that they never wore. Uh, all sorts of ages, just in case I got that phone call. And you, you know, knew the possibility, yeah. four-year-old or two-year-old, you know, that kind of way to have something, you know, baby grows there and all that kind of thing. But it's it, my problem was, Casey, just the, the, if you like, the HSEs themselves, the backup and the pressure they were under, that they weren't able to give the support. Now, I'm not saying you need support all the time. You go into it and you know you know, I don't, I'm not coming on complaining, saying oh, there's no support there. You are willing, you take that on as part of the whole thing. But there is supposed to be help there. Not only for you, for the children, but sometimes it's just not there. Yeah. And yeah. I knew of one child I had who went, ended up having to went, left me and went to somebody else. And that foster parent, sorry, she wasn't with me. She was a sibling of the child I had. And one foster parent just couldn't get it. She was trying and trying for what the child needed. Another foster ended up taking the child and she had to battle and battle. And I met her after two years at one of the functions, the Christmas functions. And the difference in that child, Katie, was unreal. And the social worker, she said to me, but the little girl I had, for, again, it was supposed to be an emergency. I was supposed to take her for two weeks and I had her for two years. Yeah. But the, by the, from the day she came to me, obviously I won't go into personal details, but she wouldn't speak, she wouldn't communicate. She wouldn't do anything from her trauma. And after about a year, year and a half, I think when the social worker called one of the days, he called to ask me to be fa- do a favour and take the siblings, which I did. And he just couldn't believe it. He said, I, I can't believe that's the same child I, yeah. that came to you. She was out playing on the street on her bike with the other children, with my granddaughter. And so that's what, that's what I'm saying about the rewarding part. But to get to there... And I, I don't mean this in a bad way. You're talking about one person spoke to you about things that were said to me, that you have to try and contain yourself because they, they can be so horrendous, some of the things that a child might say. Yeah. And you have to be prepared for all that as well. And I had to go about that. And I that was taken further. And I had not had to. I was asked, but I'd go further. So there's an awful lot um, in terms of the damage that's done to the poor children. And it's trying to help them, but it's in with regards to what they're entitled to, or not even entitled to, 
like that girl with the braces or, you know, things like that. You, if you have to fight for everything. And obviously, it, with the circumstances, as you say, you're, you're, you know, you're busy enough without having to make phone exactly. calls and chase people up all the time for to get something that they should be getting anyway. Yeah. But the social workers I found were very, very hard to get. And they were, the turnover of social workers was unreal. Well, I think that's and it. And I think it, it themselves. It, it's because, obviously, uh, for, I imagine because of some of those scenarios that Kerry was, was outlining so graphically there, it's a very, very tough Absolutely. job. There's no doubt about it. With all the best will in the world, oh, it's extremely, but, it's yeah. extremely hard. No matter, no matter who it is, what child it is, because the fact that they're coming into care itself, exactly, is going to, you know, that's a problem. Bernie, you know, so for them to get over that alone, yeah. It's a huge... Sorry to cut across you, Bernie. Uh, I am told I have to take another ad break. Uh, fair play to all of you. Honestly, I have I've such... Uh, you're an inspiration, really. The, the work you do and um, what you do for those kids is amazing. We'll take a break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Now, we're moving on, but not an unrelated um, topic, actually, because we're talking about people who insp- who are inspirational and uh, who do a lot for other people. And, uh, Anne, you got in touch uh, with us about Chuck Feeney. Oh, yes, Katie, I certainly did. I'll tell you, you would be better speaking with um, Conor O'Keary, the Irish Times correspondent, or indeed Eamon Dunphy, because... Um, Conor O'Cleary wrote the book uh, Old Cheapers in 2007, The Billionaire Who Wasn't, and then Eamon Dunphy interviewed uh, Chuck Feeney in uh, 2008, I think. But in any event, um, when I heard Conor O'Cleary being interviewed on OTE about his uh, the book, I ran out and bought it straight away. And I'll tell you, it's an unbelievable read and everybody would gain so much from it. We should just tell people, uh, sorry Anne, we should just tell people in case they missed the news that uh, Chuck Feeney passed away there on Monday at the age of 92. That's exactly it, he passed away there at 92. And he was an extraordinary man. Unbelievable. And... um, uh, his whole thing, like he came from humble beginnings. His parents were Irish. They lived in, um, I think, New York, in the States anyway, in, in a two up, two down. But they, both parents worked and they wanted to um, um, make sure he got a good education. And he got a scholarship to uh, Cornell University. But of course, his grand getting a scholarship, which is still have to live. And um, he used to make sandwiches every evening and cycle around the campus selling the sandwiches. And he was known as Sandwich Man. And um, moving on from there, that's how he put himself through college and all the rest. And then he went on to start uh, duty-free airports. I think the first one was in Hawaii. And because he knew that would attract an awful lot of Japanese people. So I, I presume Japan must be near Hawaii. I'm not sure. But anyway, he went on to make billions. He was the fourth but richest he, man in America at one point. 
he was, he was, he was, and he made billions and billions and billions. But um, the the main thing is he started this, um, he started this uh, company uh, um, foundation. I think it was called uh, the Atlantic Foundation, and where he gave away eight billion of his money. But mostly he gave it away to um, uh, universities and hospitals and um, he did uh, loads of scholarships for underprivileged kids who couldn't afford to go to college. Uh, From memory now, and I'm going back a long time, um, I think he gave something like 500,000 to university um, college in Limerick. Oh, he did. That was a big one, yeah. And he gave to Trinity College. And this was, gave, so, sorry, Anne, just, this was the Atlantic um, Philanthropies. And he was doing this, right. he, yes. was, he, was, yeah. he was doing it in secret for a long time, for something like 15 years, he as far as I know. He did it completely in secret. And because he didn't want anybody, but I, I suppose, Katie, um, I was told by my mother when I was a young teenager, um, if you do a good deed for somebody and you tell them, anybody else about it, it's no longer a good deed because you're looking for glory for yourself. So you should always do everything in secret. And he did absolutely everything in secret. And uh, he didn't disclose anything whatsoever. And that's why I thought he was so amazing. And And, uh, and as well as that, despite having access to just really unlimited funds, uh, you know, massively, hugely wealthy. He lived an extraordinarily humble, modest lifestyle, didn't he? He did, he did. He wore the same watch for um, donkey's years. I think it was worth about 10 euro. He he didn't eat in Michelin star restaurants. He ate in his local little cafe and um, would go in, sit at the same table, have his bite to eat, and uh, in any event, uh, uh, I'm just trying to remember from reading the book, um, uh, all his um, the executives in the company, of course, they were all making huge, huge money and they were buying yachts and they were buying um, old villas in Switzerland and the south of France and mm-hmm. all over the place. And uh, he had five children and then... I think his wife got into that kind of scene in the high life and they split up and he had, um, he he was surrounded by very loyal people and he had one very loyal person who was, we'll say, a secretary or a PA and um, she, they kept kept everything absolutely secret and um, nobody knew until... um, more recent years. I think the late the, 90s. Um, the late 90s, Anne. Will you hang on, Anne? Yeah. I think I've got a clip and I think I've got somebody who actually met Chuck Feeney on the line. And we'll, but first we'll take ads. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And I want to very quickly now then go to Professor Roseanne Kenny. Professor Roseanne? Hello, yes. How are you? Fine, thank you. You met you. you met the great Chuck Feeney. Well well Chuck Feeney actually supported an awful lot of our work. 
And it was through that that I got to know him and his very loyal wife, Helga. Um, he he believed in um, making the experience of growing old better in Ireland. And um, as such, he gave 20 million to St. James's Hospital um, to help to build a new institute for successful ageing, which we opened in 2016, and it's called Mercer's Institute for Successful Aging. And the, his, his modus operandi was to get governments to also support whatever resource or to complement whatever resource he was putting into something. So um, the money that he gave for our institute was matched and indeed more than matched by government and that was his that was his mechanism to ensure that there was sustainability in whatever he invested in he also was the um supporter for a long time for the first phase of the tilde study the irish longitudinal study in aging and in all um, contributed over 12 million wow. to enable that study. The first waves of the study were very, very expensive. Um, for for infrastructural reasons, we didn't have um, data sets that we could draw on Rose, in Ireland. Roseanne, like I'm going to. Could. I'm sorry to talk over you. I'm literally in the last minute of air. I'm, oh, I, sorry. I, yeah. I just wanted. I just wanted to get some sense of what was he actually like as a person. Was he good company? Oh, he was. He was. He was lovely. He was very kind. Very quiet. Um, very serious when it came to his investments and he's a lovely sense of, of humour, a very gentle sense of humour. Um, and as I say, a great love of Ireland, obviously, the amount of... of yeah, he was very committed toward, to Ireland and very committed to the heritage of his parents who were Irish. Of course. Uh, that's it. I'm actually out of time. Hopefully we'll come back to this, Roseanne, because I actually, I'm totally fascinated by him, particularly uh, his attitude towards money and, and uh, towards philanthropy in general. Uh, but he also he, he's given almost two billion to Ireland. So I think we should be really respecting him. And I agree that Conor O'Cleary's book is an excellent way for listeners to get a sense of the man. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll come back to this because obviously, as you Thank say, you. a very, very important figure uh, for Ireland. Ariesta Grevin Annam. That's it. Uh, on sound today, we had James Feeney. Broadcast coordinator was Shane Galvin. And today's programme was produced by Siobhan Hogan. Uh, stand by now for Ray. 0818 715 815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie.